Well, on that note, good morning, everybody. Hopefully everybody has their study sheet and a Bible. One's more important than the other. I'll let you decide which one that is. Uh, open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel 24. Does anybody need a Bible? Yeah, okay, Anyone need a Bible? Bible? <sighs> so I don't know about you guys. But as we're going over this study about our name, about solid, it's, it's something that's been a name for 20 years as we've talked about it. You guys who have been in the youth ministry for any length of time know the name. And like your very own name, it can kind of become rote. It can kind of become just kind of a name that has no meaning or really no significance because you're just so used to hearing it. And I was thinking just this week about how even our lives, our, our Christian life can be like that, where we start to take things for granted. We start to forget things because it just becomes a part of the norm, starts becoming part of the daily routine. And I don't know how much or how many times this has happened to you guys where... You go to church like last Sunday and you get so jazzed and so pumped from a lesson where it's, or, or a message and you're just like ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. You got your sword of the Lord. You got your sword. You're ready to start slaying your giants. You're ready to start taking your land for Christ. And then Monday comes. Oh, Monday. And this week especially, I don't know about you guys, but I, I couldn't think of a way. And Andy, if you could hit the lights. I couldn't think of a way to convey what this week was like, so I decided to make a video to demonstrate what this week was like for me, and I wanted to see if perhaps it was similar for you guys as well. Oh, it is proved. Maybe. You ready to go? Because I know you all feel like you could do this. He just said, dummy, look alive. Who does that remind you of? Andy.
one to the jazz. Yes, ma'am. It's really good. It's uh. One of those kind of you did not sit up while you watch the TV. Oh. Here, try a. Uh, I'll uh, try to adjust it a little. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if anyone else can relate, but uh, that was my week. Yeah, I know, right? So, yeah. And I don't know if Sunday's going to go the exact same way or not, but uh, we'll see. But isn't that just like our life? Isn't that just like our walk? We get so jazzed, we get so pumped after like a Sunday morning message, and we're ready to take on school. We're ready to go out to our land, and then boom, the opposition hits. And it almost like it blindsides us, like, how did this even happen? And it was so funny because I came up with that video earlier in the week, and as I was just reading something today in my devotions, it was actually in 1 Samuel 26, and 1 Samuel 26, Saul, King Saul, is charging after David and he's trying to uh, corner David and he's trying to kill him because Saul knows that David's going to usurp him as king one day. And what struck me as bizarre about that is the fact that just a couple chapters ago, Saul had seemingly made peace with David. Made him think that, okay, I'm done chasing you. You spared my life, David, because David had an opportunity where he could have completely wiped Saul out. But he chose not to because it wasn't his time to lead yet. It wasn't his time to be king. He was waiting upon God. And he had every right to take Saul out after everything that Saul did to take him out. And I'm like, wait a second, though. Saul made peace with David. Why is he chasing after him in chapter 26? And then I remember seeing in, verse, uh, in chapter 24... You know, after Saul swears his allegiance to him, look at verse 22. David swore unto Saul, and Saul went home. But David and his men got them up unto the hold. 1 Samuel 24, 22. Did you guys... Did I not tell you the chapter? Oh, I just said... Oh, sorry. 1 Samuel 24. But in verse 22, if you're there, I'll read it again. David swore unto Saul, and Saul went home. But David and his men get them up unto the hold. And it was so interesting to me. I never even saw that before. And I don't know if it's like for you guys, but when you're doing your devotions, especially if it's at 5 a.m. or 5.30 a.m. before school, work, whatever, that's a verse that you could easily pass over. Until a couple days later, when you're reading chapter 26, you're like, wait a second, why is he chasing after him again? Then you come to realize, oh, well, because Saul's the enemy, he's a great picture of the Antichrist in Scripture. But the thing that really hit me was the fact that even though Saul was chasing after him, and even though Saul seemingly made this peace with him in chapter 24, David, David was in a stronghold. He was in a fortress because he wasn't fooled. He knew exactly that the enemy wasn't going to give up a day. 
that the enemy was going to be coming after him on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, and on Saturday. Yes, even on the Sabbath, on the day of rest, when you're trying to recuperate from the week. David and his men, they got back up in their strong tower. They got back up in their fortress. And you trace that phrase throughout all of Scripture, and you find that Christ, our mighty God, is a mighty fortress unto us. David was prepared for the day of battle. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday didn't take him by surprise. Even though it seems like sometimes for us, we might be ready on Monday, but then we get our teeth kicked in, and then we just kind of, ah, well, surely the enemy's not going to come back at me on Tuesday. Surely the enemy's not going to keep pounding me into the ground on Wednesday. Surely I'm not going to be tested with anything on Thursday. Surely this world system's not going to eat me away and, and weather me out on Friday. It's a great reminder. The enemy's not taking a day off. Never has. And if it seems like he is in your life, it may just be God holding him off for a time. But rest up while you can because the attacks are coming. Or maybe if it seems like he's not right now, it's because he's already got you defeated. You're down on the ground and Superman is just punching you into oblivion, not letting you get back up. And you're thinking that you're okay. You're thinking that he doesn't have you down. We just got to be reminded, just as David was, you know what? Seems like there's peace right now. Seems like nothing's going on. But I'm going to be in my fortress. I'm going to be in my stronghold. I'm going to be ready because that day is going to be coming where the enemy's up again. So just like we can become so used to the daily battle, we can become so used to opposition that it doesn't even become a thought in our minds, I think the same thing happens with our name, Solid. We get accustomed to just repeating, shining our light in darkness. We don't actually think about what that means and what is required of us or what we need to be doing with that name. It just becomes something that we just go through the motions. We just say it. And that's why we've been going through this study about being reminded that we are to shine our light in darkness because darkness is always here. It's not going anywhere. It always exists until Christ comes back and eradicates it. Covered that two weeks ago. And then last week we were looking at perspective. We went through a little bit of a history lesson about the history of Solid and, and talked about key points in our history and key passages of Scripture that helped us to get a perspective of where we had been so that we could further see where we're going. And it was just kind of a rehash of that last week of seeing where we have been immediately so that we can see where we're going immediately. You need that perspective in order to be able to see and to have that vision. So today, we're finally coming back to the point I didn't get to two weeks ago. In point number two on your outline, we're going to see that our mission together is to shine our light in darkness. Some of these verses you may be familiar with. And again, you know the name. You know, you could probably even articulate what it means in your own words to shine your light in darkness. But again... If there's no significance to it, if there's no meaning behind it to you personally as to what that means for me individually, then it's just a rote thing. It's just a, a checkbox on your daily activities to be a Christian. That's the thing about Christianity is that biblical Christianity was never supposed to be a checkbox sort of a thing. That's religion when you think about it. And we very much can be like that. Even though we're saved, we can very much treat our walk and our relationship with Christ as though it's a religion. 
where we just do a couple of duties, where we just make sure that we have these perfectly fine little boxes that make sure that we're doing this, make sure I'm seen doing that, make sure that it looks like my heart's in the right spot there. Okay, did that, did that, did that. Shining my light in darkness. And all the while, we're getting pummeled by the world, we're getting pummeled by the flesh, we're getting pummeled by the devil, and we don't even realize it. And so we need to be reminded of our mission, and that's why today we're going to look at the purpose behind what it means to shine our light in darkness. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 60. So before we even dive into these verses... When you think about the book of Isaiah in its most simplistic, fundamental sense, who do you guys think this passage is in relation to? Who is this passage being written to in a very broad sense? Anyone could shout it out. Is it to the church? Jews. Jews, the nation of Israel. It's the Old Testament. It's about 700 years before Christ even came on the scene. Israel is who he's talking to here. Uh, can I get a reader to read uh, verse 1? Emily Owens. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon me. Verse 2. Someone else. Andy. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. The Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. I love it. The very first command on this chapter, he says, Arise! Don't just sit in your chair. Don't just sit in your pew. Don't just come on Sundays and Wednesdays and let that be the status quo. Do something, and it starts with just you standing up. Saying, okay, Lord, I don't know what it is you want me to do. I don't know where exactly my land specifically is, but here I am. I'm ready to be used of you. That's step number one is just getting up and being used of God. And he says in verse two, that darkness shall cover the earth. And he goes, and gross darkness, the people, meaning it's like a, it's a thick cloud to the point that people can't see. They're blinded by the God of this world, as we'll soon see in another passage. But check out the end of verse 2. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon who? Upon thee. God's light, the very glory of God, was going to be seen by the world through them. And in this darkness, while people are scurrying around in this gross, thick darkness, they would see a glimmer of light. And it was the nation of Israel as they walked with God. And as they would see that glimmer of light, they would be drawn to it. They would be attracted to it. And they would go toward the light. Not in a death sense. Well, kind of. Death to self. But they would be drawn to that light. And that's what nation of Israel was supposed to do. It's what the Jews were supposed to do back then. Look at verse 3. I get a reader for that. Sammy. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. The nation of Israel was to lead this great missionary journey throughout all of the world, even bringing in the Gentiles. Entire people groups would come to know God and would be drawn out of the darkness into the light. And not only that, but what does it say after that? Who else would be drawn? Kings. 
There's a beautiful proverb. I can't remember what chapter or verse. You can look it up later. But he says that, Seest thou a man diligent in his busyness? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. And that word mean there, it's, it's used in the mathematical sense of, you know, like average. You know, get the mean of the, the tally or whatever. When you're diligent to do what God has asked you to do, you're going to stand before kings. You're going to stand before people of high regard. Your teachers who know more than you because they have an education, so to speak. Your bosses, your professors when you go to college, if you go to college, who again know more than you and are going to tell you the way that things should be in the world, are going to tell you how you should behave and how you should treat others in spite of what this book says. You'll be able to stand before them and to shine your light and let the glory of the Lord shown to them if you let Him. That's the key. You'll be able to stand before them and have an opportunity to witness Christ, not to average people, but to people that will change the world. You guys just went through two sets of evangelism classes, right? I'm sure you've heard of the name Mark Cahill. Anybody know that name? You can raise your hand. Is it most people not? Okay. Mark Cahill, for those who don't know, awesome evangelist of this time, wrote a book called One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. And I know Bobby's mentioned that on Wednesday nights. And in this book, you look at him and you look at the stories he shares about, being, about witnessing and sharing Christ to people. He's talked to pro athletes. He's talked to celebrities. God has used him in a way to reach people that nobody else can. And you might think, how could we, who lives around here that we can reach? You know what? Maybe nobody right now. But you will never know if you don't first arise. If you don't first stand up and say, God, I'm willing and I'm ready, use me in any way you see fit and I'll go. And if you stay diligent to that, to let his light shine through you by being a witness in this gross darkness of the people. Don't limit God to what he can do and to who he'll put you in front of. But here's the point I wanted to make with this. Write down Ephesians 3.20. And check it out later, but it says this. Unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. In other words, you hear stories in history about God doing incredible things. God literally doing the impossible You'll read stories, and we'll talk about them later, about a missionary named George Mueller who literally ran an orphanage and prayed in millions of dollars throughout his, his, throughout his career, if you can call it that, prayed in millions of dollars for this orphanage. One day, he woke up, had about 20 or 50 orphans in his room, about ready to feed them at the kitchen table, but he had nothing to give them. And he stood up and he prayed, and he says... Children, we are going to thank God for the food we're about to receive. Has nothing, mind you. As soon as he's done praying that, opens the door. And there's a friend of his, a baker, who was like, you know what, George? God, for some reason, woke me up at 2 in the morning last night and told me that I needed to bake bread for the kids. I got a couple loaves for you. Here they are. As soon as he leaves, 
Another knock on the door. Milkman, whose delivery cart and wagon broke a wheel off right in front of the orphanage. The milkman comes up to the door and says, hey, George, I got a whole bunch of milk here that's going to go bad. I'd rather give it to the kids so that I can offload my, my cart and then go repair it. Had nothing to start the day with. Started a prayer like that, and then God answered it above and beyond. History is loaded with events like that that happened. Do we see God working like that in mass today? We don't. We really don't. When was the last time you saw God do something in your life personally that you could not explain using human logic? Something that just did not make sense, something you couldn't articulate with your own words about, I, I, I don't even know how these events and these circumstances came to be other than God. Do you realize that that verse in Ephesians 3.20, that God is able to still do things like that today and that He wants to do things like that today? There's just one problem. It's the end of that verse. Unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. If we don't see God doing those things in our lives regularly, it's not Him. It's us constraining or keeping the light from getting out and doing those things. And that's why I opened up with this passage here, kind of opened up, with this passage here because what happened to the nation of Israel? Did they succeed in this mission? No. They failed. They killed John the Baptist, they put Christ on the cross, and then they killed and martyred Stephen in the book of Acts. And God says, all right, I'm going to go to the Gentiles myself. And I'm going to utilize them to lead this great missionary journey throughout all of the world. Think on that for a minute. The people of Abraham were supposed to lead the revival in Perry and Maslin. David's lineage were supposed to reach out to Northwest and Green. Moses and his downline and his seed were supposed to reach out to Jackson and North Canton and all the other places up here, but instead, God has chosen you to fulfill this. We're not called to live ordinary lives, y'all. This is an extraordinary life, an extraordinary mission we've been given. We gotta let it shine. And that's not just some rote song that y'all sang when we were kids. This is huge. This is so huge. We have a cloud of witnesses as you look at Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12 that are cheering you on every single day you go to class. Every single day you step out of your classroom and into that hallway. Is 201 still the study hall at Perry? Is that what the room is? The big one upstairs. Like AV200 now. Oh, AV200. I think that, okay, that was it. 200 was this humongous study hall we had, I remember. And I don't know what it's like because of COVID, but I remember that study hall used to be jam-packed with kids. And I remember just looking around. I'm like, he's lost, she's lost, 
he's lost. The entire row's lost. And then the next row over, they're all lost. And then the bell would ring, and then all of us would get out together, and we'd all go down. There's these steps that lead down, just like two or three steps that lead down into the main hallway. And sometimes I would just stand there at the top of the steps, and I would just watch the entire hallway flood with souls of lost kids. And I would think, God has put me here to reach all of them. With the time I've been given, it's not a lot. We've got to get rolling. Man, so think on that. Ephesians 5.8, I have it up here on the screen for you. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. It doesn't matter what the past was. We talked about this on even Friday night. Whatever past sins you had or whatever past moments, even if it was just this past week where you let your testimony down in front of somebody, where maybe you said something you shouldn't have and it kind of ruined that testimony with somebody in your sphere of influence or a lost friend, it doesn't matter. Ye were darkness this week, get right with him and then make it right with that person. And then this week, shine. Walk as children of light. Doesn't matter today because we don't have a lot of time left because 1 Thessalonians 5, 4, and 5 says, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness. See, past, you weren't in darkness. Now he's talking present tense. You are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. So when you see that phrase, that day in the Bible, what does that tell you? Is a very unique phrase in Scripture, and it always is referring to something specific. Emily Owens? Second coming. Second coming. And that includes a multitude of events, but it starts with the rapture, the tribulation period, and then Christ coming back to take His rightful throne on this place. It's all of those events. Now, we're not in darkness. We know this is coming, right? We know that time is short. So we're not in darkness as others, like maybe some of your other Christian friends who aren't mission-minded because they're just going through the motions of the life or they're getting beat down Monday through Friday of the world. But ye are all the children of what? Can you read it? Oh, thank you. Okay, you can read it. And the children of the day, we are not of the night, nor of darkness. So maybe it's not your past sins. Maybe it's not a past regret or, or something that you did this past week that, that let your, your, your guard down or let your testimony get ruined. But maybe it's something you're currently involved in right now. If it is, get right because you're not called to be in darkness right now, currently. Again, the day is short. That day is going to come as a thief in the night. It's like Pastor Jay preached on last week. We don't want to be found overcome. We don't want to be found, or we want to be found doing what's right, doing the work of the Lord when He comes back. Now turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As we turn there, you know, speaking of uh, just this whole idea of Israel and the nation failing to do what God has commanded them to do, we know, and we're going to study this in the future, that the, the church age, the church will eventually fail to do that, will fail to, to fulfill that. But do you realize that that doesn't have to be the same, that, that doesn't have to be the, the result for us? That doesn't have to be what happens to you and I. Just because the rest of Christianity may fail to enact their mission doesn't mean that has to be said of us on Judgment Day when we stand before Christ and give an account 
You know, I thought about, um, I didn't get a chance to share this last week, but two months after that camp where Solid was born, the camp that got us from a youth group to a youth ministry, two months after that happened, the family that led me to the Lord up and left. They were founding members of this church. They were people that gave me ride, a ride to church every single Sunday. They up and left. And I remember as uh, Pastor Tom brought us into the, the back of the church, because on Sunday nights we met at the, as a senior high, I knew something was off when he brought us in, and my friends, I didn't see him there at all the entire day at church on Sunday. And I remember him sharing that. I remember just weeping like a baby. Because I'm like, how on earth could this be possible? God did this incredible work at camp. And now two of our founding members, two solid guys, are now gone because they don't want to do the work anymore. Their entire family gave up and didn't want to do the work anymore. How on earth could you possibly let this happen, God? And honestly, it drove me even closer. Because it let me see, crap's getting real. Some of you guys are going to see that here real soon. You're going to see it's real. When you're not in this room anymore, you're in a place completely new. For those of you who are staying in this room, and half of the room is empty, and it actually gets cold in here because there's less bodies, it's going to get real. So what's your reaction going to be? If the person who invited you to church gave up and walked out on Christ, what would you do? If it was your family members who decided just to quit, said, I'm not coming to church anymore, what would you do? You ought to think about these questions deep because you might just find that it happens to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 4. Actually, first three for context. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are who? In whom the God of this world, verse 4, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So how do we shine our light? Well, verse 5 gives you a great idea of that. For we preach not ourselves... But who? Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the, what? Light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That light that you have in your heart is not just to make you feel happy and chipper. You're supposed to give it. You're supposed to radiate it and shine it off, give it away so that those who are lost in this world can see and be drawn to it and to get what you have so that they too can give it off and radiate it and shine it and attract more people. Again, things we all know, things many of you who grew up in this church know like the back of your hand. We know a battle's coming. But yet, sometimes we still let Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday happen where we're just getting pummeled and getting our teeth kicked in by Batman. So, want to know who we are? 
Turn over to Matthew 5. This is the headline key verse of solid. It's our theme verse. It describes who we are. I think it's James 1, either 22 or 25. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them? It's John. Read John and James. (laughs) It started with a J. 13? Yeah. It's, It's in chapters 13 and 17 in John. Just read all of them. You'll find it. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. So again, we know these things, but are we doing it? Boy, we better. Look at verse 14. Can I get a reader for 14, 15, and 16? Carson, loud and clear. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Does it say ye are the light of your school? No, but it starts there. Does it say ye are the light of your home only? No, but it starts there. Does it say you are the light of your community, the extracurricular activities you find yourselves in, dance, music, whatever the case is? No, but it starts there. But look at where the end goal is. The world. Yes, us in this room. We have capability right now to impact all of eternity. That a million years from this day right now, you'll be thinking back to your short little time lived on this earth and think, whose eternity did I impact for Christ? So what's the answer? A million years from today, are you going to look back and like, you know what, I can't even remember anything of significance during my time left on that earth. But man, these past million years have been cool. You see, that's our mission together. And see, in point number three, our purpose drives how we're going to accomplish our mission. So in order to stay focused on shining our light in darkness, we need a purpose, and that's where a mindset and a mission statement come in. The first bullet point, we believe we are right here, right now, for such a time as this, Esther chapter 4, a verse many of you are familiar with. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time. Oh, go back and read this chapter this week. Go back and read the book this week. It is incredible if you understand the context of this. Esther was being told in this verse here, you can't hold your peace. You can't keep it in. You can't keep the light to yourself. You have to share this news that you have been given. If you holdest your peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews, but from another place. Here's the thing, though. If you think that, okay, I, you know what? I've tried with this person here. I've just tried witnessing over here, but I'm getting nowhere with this person. It's okay. You know what? When the rapture happens, somebody else will reach out to them. Maybe, because God has a, pl- a backup plan, but you don't know if that's going to be the case or not with that particular person. Book of Jude, there's a verse in there that says that, you know, pulling, some have compassion, making a difference, others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. I know it's a verse that had to have been used in the last couple lessons you've had on, on uh, 
the evangelism. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? I think I've mentioned it before. Man, I'm like, why couldn't God have put us in any other time frame where, man, it had been so much easier to witness and to shine our light in darkness? I don't know. All I know is God, for some strange reason, has put you guys here in what is the tempest of the last great battle of the church age. You're the final soldiers. Those of us leaders in here who have kids, we are raising up future soldiers for the final battle for the lost souls of mankind. We believe we are here right now for such a time as this. And with that, we have a purpose. What is that purpose? 2 Timothy 1.9 Jesus saved us, but that's not it. That's not where it ends. If you're in here and you're thinking, man, at least I'm going to heaven, that's not what you were saved for. He called us after He saved us within holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. It's His purpose that we are here right now and for us to shine our light. Second bullet point, we believe we are more than a group. We are what? Fill in the blank. Ministry. There is a difference. There is a difference. Ugh. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 5. We got time for it. Yeah, I'm not called to the ministry, though. I'm not called to be a minister. Uh, think again. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And if you keep reading in that passage, he says that, you know what, if we're going to be ministers, if we're going to be sharing our light in darkness, shining our light, we ought to be faithful with what we've been given. But what is it we've been given? Look at verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And here's the key. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To be reconciled, that means it's almost as though you were there was a rift between you and your family members, and then you were brought back together again. And isn't that the gospel? What a beautiful picture of the gospel. As we just saw, it's not of our works. It's not about being good that we can earn our way to heaven. But only through the blood of Jesus Christ and us receiving that free gift of Jesus offering himself on the cross and God pouring out all of his wrath upon his only son as our substitute. When we believe that by faith and trust that, we are reconciled together with God. And the mission and the purpose that God has for us is to reconcile everybody else to His Son. Reconcile everybody else to the Father. That's the purpose that we've been given. That's the ministry that we are all in. So yes, you're all called to the ministry. Whether full-time in the future or not, you got a ministry. Are you faithful with it? 
Are you a faithful minister? Are you a steward? Someone who's responsible for that. Third bullet point, we believe we are to glorify God by walking with the Lord. John 15, 8 says that when you bear much fruit, so are you my disciples indeed. We are to bear fruit. That is how we glorify God. Colossians 1.10 says that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being what? Fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We bear fruit when we reconcile people to Christ, when we lead others to saving faith in Christ, and then train them up to do the same thing. And that's why, last bullet point, we believe this is done by seeing the lost saved and the saved grow. Can anybody quote Matthew 28, 18-20? Let's turn there. We'll end there. Hopefully these last two bullet points sound familiar to you because it is the mission statement of the Solid Youth Ministry. And I believe we have some flyers back there that have the mission statement on it. Can I get a reader for 18 to 20? Lydia. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me and in the earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Again, it starts in our own backyard. Where is your land? And as we talked last week, is it really your land? It's the land that God gave you. No one else. You. Maybe you go to the same school as other people that are in here. Who are the people in your sphere of influence that aren't in the same sphere of influence of the others in the youth ministry that go to your school? In your extracurricular activities. Your work, for those of you who work. Is it your land do you own it like it's your land? Or is it just, well, my school is my mission field. It's school first. Instead of flipping it on its head and looking at it as it, no, that is my land. I am there to reach souls for Christ. And if I have time grades, get good grades. We talked about that last week with that mindset. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. We've got to lead in the saving faith in Christ. And then... We train them up to do the same thing. So 2 Timothy 2.2 says, The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That's discipleship. If we want to glorify God, we want to bear much fruit for Him by being His disciples indeed, this is the mission. This is the purpose behind the mission of how we're going to accomplish that and how we're going to shine our light in darkness. I don't know. I just felt really burdened to go back over these, uh, these all-important points because, again, like I already mentioned, we can go through it so many times again and again where it just becomes rote for us, where it just becomes, it's just information, it's just noise, it has no significance or no meaning anymore. And some of these verses, many of you probably have read them and memorized them, and you could probably actually could recite them, but is there significance and meaning behind it? What is God saying to you specifically about what you need to do to shine your light more? 
Where is God leading you personally? Don't think about the group. Don't think about Greentown and Greentown. Don't think about solid. Where is God leading you personally? Do you have a vision for what he's doing in your midst, in your life, through what he's saying to you through the Bible, through the opportunities you've already had recently, through some of the conversations you've been involved in? What vision has he given you individually, personally? If you're struggling to come up with an answer for that, we're going to be discussing that either on the 27th or the first week of March. I haven't decided yet now that the send-off is bumped back a week. But whatever Sunday that is, we're going to start a new series on vision and about knowing what it is that God wants for me individually, me personally. Because if you know what it is that God is leading you to do individually, personally, then you will know your place and what you're supposed to do corporately as youth ministry. And if we all collectively know together what we're supposed to be doing corporately as a youth ministry, we'll be able to impact the church to spur them on to encourage them, not just the junior high, but the singles and the adults. And when we're able to do that corporately, we will affect the world like we were called to do, like the nation of Israel was called to do. And you can't do it without vision. That'll be what we're going to do on Sundays. And then coming up on Wednesday, March 2nd, sorry, I wanted these to be half sheets. The image is a little pixelated. But I think it's a good follow-up to evangelism and a good follow-up even to just being reminded and refreshed about what our goal and our mission is and our, our purpose, our identity as a solid youth ministry. We're going to follow it up with just seeing how much time we actually do have left on this earth. This is going to be an end-time study through the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights. I don't know about you guys, but these flyers, when we were in the youth ministry, helped so much. It was so easy to invite kids with simple questions like this. Because kids want to know, man, how much time do we really have on this earth? Why is things, why are things rather, sorry for the grammar, why are things so messed up right now? So these big flyers, I want you guys to go ahead and take this for yourself. On Wednesday, I'm going to have a slew of little half sheets so that the image isn't so pixelated. I want you guys to give those out at school. Some of you have Bible studies that you're a part of. Pass them out to those kids. Let's pack this room out. That'll be starting the first week uh, in March. Other than that, I'll have more details for you. We're going to have some activity, or not activity, uh, area outreach studies coming up in the spring. It's going to be fun. We're getting busy. All right. Somebody want to close us in prayer?